5: are back crossover nba podcast i am chris mannix from miami eagerly awaiting the arrival of his miami heat we have rowan (laughs) and from new york chris harry uh guys we've got to get into what we saw in the game last night i was at the td garden and let me tell you through two quarters i was sitting there with a couple of my media brethren and not to name names, but we were kind of scoffing at the heat's chances of winning the series
6: because you tell me the Boston media mafia was all uh, together. This was not, at
5: the- this was not Boston media <laughs> mafia. This was not Boston media <laughs> mafia. This was national media mafia. And okay. Okay. Look, you watch the first two quarters and you see Jason Tatum getting to the basket you see Robert Williams having an impact on the glass and defensively. And you see Miami, which outside of Jimmy Butler and a great second quarter from Kyle Lowry, just not looking like it had the offensive firepower to keep up with the Celtics. And then the third quarter comes around, and Miami puts up 46 points and blows the door off. And Heat take game one one nothing series lead, and uh, now I don't know what to think about this series. Rohan, you have been riding that Miami bandwagon for some time now. Uh <laughs> Your reaction to Game 1?
6: I'm not going to lie. Even I was not expecting the Heat to win this game, particularly after that second quarter where I thought Boston in that Philly game in Game 7 was the first time they really looked like the Boston team I expected to see in the postseason and in the second quarter, we were seeing shades of that. This is a team that can get a good shot offensively whenever they want. Tons of switchable defenders. But I think what's made Miami so effective during this playoff run is there's no one way they've been winning games. They keep winning games, whether it's in the Milwaukee series, it was Jimmy Butler having career scoring nights and crazy shooting. In the second round, they kind of won that series in a slugfest with the Knicks. slow Low possession games, grinded out on defense. And then I think you saw in game three, or game one rather, but the third quarter, a lot of just individual brilliance from the Miami guys. Jimmy Butler and Bam bio. Bam, I think was 9 of 13 last night, um, really effective against whichever big man Boston threw his way. They It it sounds rote, but it really came down to Miami making a ton of shots. Um, Jimmy Butler, I think, had the most mid-range makes in a game for himself this season, um, I mentioned Bam aggressive got up to 20 points without taking a lot of field goals. The three point shooting for them in the third quarter was really, really good. I thought Miami also did a good job in the, in the def- defensively in the second half, getting Boston from getting to the rim. I think Boston had 40 point points in the first half. Miami was able to clean that up in the second half. But I just think overall, like I don't I feel like Miami during the playoffs has played its best in almost every single game. And I just haven't seen that kind of consistency from Boston. And then that's what worries me about the Celtics. I think they're definitely a more talented team, top to bottom, than Miami. There's no question about it. But just the the lapses that they have, I and mean, you think about some of the turnovers they had last night, Jason Tatum with some travels late, Rob Williams throwing the ball to Kevin Love at one point for an easy layup. At one point, are they going to take the playoffs seriously Is kind of been my feeling about the Celtics. No, Joe Missoula
5: said after the game, the Celtics won three out of the four quarters. That that doesn't really, it's not really how it works in, in the NBA, <laughs> especially when one of those quarters, you get beat 46 to 25. Herring, I made a comparison on Twitter that got some blowback, uh, comparing Jimmy Butler to Kobe <laughs> Bryant. And and look, I'm not comparing Jimmy to Kobe in terms of style of play. I'm more saying Jimmy, like Kobe, is just looking for his spot and is going to get to his spot. And once he gets to his spot, he's just not going to be denied, whether it's making an acrobatic tough shot or getting to the free throw line. He went to the free throw line 10 times last night, uh, made nine of them. Uh, You know, this is – he has become, you know, a singular force in this postseason. And I look at Boston and I'm coming into that game like, all right, well, if there's a team equipped to play against Jimmy Butler – it's probably the Celtics. They can switch everything and not be at a disadvantage on most of those switches. But whether it was Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, we're talking about, for the most part, all NBA-level defenders. I mean, Smart is just a year removed from being Defensive Player of the Year. Derek White just made the second team all-defensive team. I think Jalen Brown is probably best equipped to defend Jimmy Butler because of his combination of size and strength. And none of them had any idea what to do with Jimmy in this uh, in this game one. It was a continuation of how flummoxed Drew Holiday was throughout that Milwaukee series, and how New York, whether it was Quentin Grimes or uh, Josh Hart or any of the, the wing defenders with the Knicks, they just couldn't do anything with him. This guy is having himself a postseason, and he's doing it in a way, frankly, that reminds me of how Kobe played in his day.
7: He's really tough to stop, and I think that what's what's interesting about watching him is that he I don't think he leaves much on the table. I'm, I'm not saying that, but he's he's patient from how he does it. There's so many times where he kind of snakes around at the basket and kind of goes baseline and dribbles around kind of the way Steve Nash has done before, you know and has become known for, and there's so many times where I'm like, shoot it, shoot it, like you're within three, four feet of the basket, and he just he's patient. He sometimes uses it as a way to, to pass the ball to Bam if, if he sneaks behind Robert Williams. Um, but I think he's really intentional about getting off to good starts in these games because he doesn't play on a team that has a ton of creation, certainly without Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. you know, it's not the Duncan Robinson from a couple of years ago when they signed him to that big deal initially. Um, so he realizes that if he gets it going early, even a team like the Celtics has to or it's going to feel like it's necessary to extend more defensive attention to them. And if they do that, guess what? It opens up everybody else. And and that's when we, you know, to some extent, we, we start to see this, the other players open it up a little bit, even though they fell behind in the second. And for a minute, it looks like they're going to get knocked out of the game. Kyle Lowry starts to, to open up a little bit. Caleb Martin, Rohan knows. I was sending text messages about him all night, last night, just so impressed with his game. And that doesn't even get to the third quarter, which I'm sure we'll talk about over the course of this podcast. But um, there's something to be said for, given that we watched Milwaukee get knocked out, to all of our surprise. Uh, I imagine even Rohan was, was willing to say he didn't expect Miami to... to. I picked the Bucks to sweep. Yeah, <laughs> I man. I the bucks to sweep. I, I mean, also, we, we all watched Miami struggle to even make it out of the play-in into the playoffs. So, yeah. like, I, it, it wasn't... Out of the realm of possibility that they could have just been swept in that series. Obviously, Giannis gets hurt. But after watching that, and after watching the way that it happened, we have to be open to the fact that Miami, which, by the way, last year had the highest three-point shooting percentage in the league during the regular season, that they're capable of making maybe not as many threes or as high a percentage of threes as they made in the last game, but they very well could be and probably are better than what they showed during the regular season uh, from a shooting standpoint. And, and Jimmy is aware of that. By the way, Jimmy, when you talk about Kobe and the comparisons there, the other thing that Jimmy does is that like he's way less shy about shooting threes in the postseason than he is in the regular season. So, I mean, he knows he can make the shot. It doesn't mean he's looking forward to taking it all the time. But he's, he realizes one of the things that kills offenses in, in, in a time of year like this and we saw it a little bit in the first round with Phoenix, first two rounds or so, Phoenix. Um, we saw it with Cleveland a little bit. You have to shoot shots if you're open and it's a good look. And frankly, I never thought I'd say this. Even Tatum last night in the fourth quarter at the end of the game had a moment where he didn't look like he wanted to take one, or at least not when he was open. And he, he hitched and then he turned it over for the second or third straight time. So... Uh, Miami, more than anything else, they know who they are. They know exactly who they are. They've been here enough times. They've had the same coach. They have a bunch of guys that know their roles to a T, even guys that are new to their roles, with Lowry being off the bench really for the first time in his career, essentially, um, at least since he's been the, the caliber player he is now. Uh, they know their roles, and, and and I think Boston to some extent, even though they've been here enough times to know – what they should be doing, they look a little spooked at times, which is a weird thing to say after coming off a huge Game Seven victory and showing the guts that Tatum did to to lead them through a Game Six that they could have lost.
5: I mean, to Rohan's point, this has been a problem for the Celtics all season and certainly all postseason. Um, you know, Game One. Well, even we go back even further, Game Five against Atlanta. They had a chance to close out the yeah. Hawks. They have a complete meltdown and have to go down to Atlanta and win that series on the road. No Joel Embiid in game one of the Philadelphia series. They let James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and Anthony Melton get 88 points in that game and beat them. Game five in Boston, not competitive. They didn't play well in that game. And this was kind of a continuation of all that. Um, The Celtics have to find a way to defend one-on-one. And this shouldn't be the challenge that it was in game one. Uh, they have the guys, as I mentioned, to defend Jimmy Butler. You shouldn't be sending double teams when Bam Adebayo is posting up against Rob Williams or Al Horford. You just spent, you know, the second round defending Joel Embiid at a pretty high level. You sh- Rob Williams should not need help when Bam Adebayo is posting him up. Al Horford should not need help when Bam Adebayo was posting him up. Mi- Miami does know who it is, and it knows where it needs to be on the floor when those double teams come and look, I don't think they shoot what 51, 52% from three in game two, but if they get those looks, they're going to shoot a pretty high percentage in this game. So to me, that's the biggest adjustment the Celtics have to make, find a way to be able to defend Jimmy one-on-one, but Rohan, let me ask you this. Uh, One of the edges that Miami had coming into the series was Eric Spolster versus Joe Missoula You know, Eric Spolster has been a wizard throughout the course of these playoffs, that he once again was excellent in Game 1. In the third quarter, when Miami was putting up 46 points, Joe Missoula did not call a single timeout. This has been a season-long talking point when it comes to Joe Missoula. He has this Phil Jackson-like instinct to let his players play through it. And it's cost them some games in the regular season. You go back to... Uh, game four against Philadelphia, when they had the ball down one with a chance to take the lead or win the game, Joe doesn't call a timeout. They wind up not getting a shot off at the end uh, of the quarter. Look, I understand letting guys play through some stuff, but 46 points? That's a lot of points, man. That is a lot of play through right there. I, I just think Joe missoula he doesn't have to out-coach Eric Spolstra, but he can't be wiped out in this particular matchup.
6: Yeah, and and building off of that, you know, I actually wanted to ask you about this, Chris. I rewatched the third quarter this morning, by the way, just because I was like, how did Miami do this exactly? And it it was just baffling to see the heat get bucket after bucket. And, you know, I think there was one of the kind of the automatic TV timeouts in there, because remember, they had the clip of Missoula throwing the clipboard on the floor. I don't know how effective uh, that maneuver was
5: either necessarily like fans were calling for a timeout like after yeah. the first oh. few minutes of the third quarter. I think that when Miami cut it quickly from nine to three, players were kind of mm-hmm. looking over at Missoula, expecting him right. to call a timeout, but he just let them play through. There were
7: like three or four plays like that, I, that you just kind of assumed I, that there was one coming. And then it just, I mean, Robert Williams threw the ball back in bounds, trying to save it and threw it directly to Kevin Love. I was like, this is a yeah. perfect spot to call timeout. Cause it felt like the momentum yes. had just shifted. So, so massively.
5: His explanation after the game too was weird. Where he, ca- I called two timeouts in the first quarter. Know, it was which is fine, but like he also had extra timeouts at the end of the game. Like he called yeah. one timeout with three nineteen remaining in the fourth, and when he called it, the Celtics were kind of rolling at that moment. They had cut the Heat lead uh, down to yeah, about the four. User to lose it, one. and yep. and Miami and, and Smart kind of looked at him at one point when he called that timeout. Was like, what are you doing? Like, what, what, what are we calling? A timeout there for. So look, it, it's not sexy, but timeout management is a real thing and has an impact on games. Absolutely.
6: Um, I, I wanted to ask you, Chris, your opinion on something because I, you talked about the defenders. First of all, you, na- you listed the defenders that Jimmy Butler was going after. Inexplicably to me, one of those guys was Peyton Pritchard. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying Peyton wild. Pritchard is, has, has no place on the floor in the playoff game. Like, I think he's a he, uh he would be in the rotation on most n b a teams he just happens to be stuck behind three guards that are very very good, but that's what made it baffling to me that why is he even playing when you have Brogdon white and smart also when two guys in smart and Brogdon that can guard up uh and spell tatum and brown i it made no sense to me that he was even part of the rotation, but beyond that, i thought he made i thought the weirder mistake he made was. Like normally I don't think it's a big deal. Like coaches protect their starting lineups, like it's, you know, a CIA level secret and it's being passed around in unmarked envelopes. You know, he said yesterday Robert Williams is gonna start. I I understand not wanting to change your starting lineup after having success with it towards the end of that Philly series, but I think that gave Miami an opportunity to keep Kevin Love on the floor. Mm. And it just allowed Miami to get comfortable in a way that I I didn't think was a great move because when you have Rob on the floor it gives the Heat a, a place to kind of cheat off of defensively. He's obviously a lob threat, and he was good on the offensive glass and on catching lobs, but he he makes things, I think, a little bit more simple for your, your defense. And then offensively, we saw Bam have success going one-on-one against Robert Williams. You know, Pritchard plays Grant Williams, who was a huge factor in this that's series name, last
5: year. That's the name I was going to bring up. Grant Williams should be yeah, playing instead and, of Peyton Pritchard. And,
6: And I want to ask about that in general because I just don't understand what's happened to Grant Williams this season. I know he hasn't shot as well, but it feels like I don't know if there's tension with him in Missoula. It's it's baffling to me the
5: degree to which he's been left out of the rotation. Well, if you were look back, Grant Williams started the season off great, like he was shooting like high thirties, low forties from three point range through December, Um, and then for whatever reason not only did the stop the shot stop falling but he stopped taking them quite as much and that was the biggest source of frustration for the coaching staff this is a coaching staff that believes there's no limit to the number of threes you should shoot like they are a three-point shooting team in every possible way and for whatever reason you know grant started to hesitate and wasn't letting him fly as frequently as he did uh, early on. Now, I, I don't know what the reasons were for that. Part of me has wondered at times, you know, Grant Williams is going to be a free agent after the season. He mm-hmm. couldn't come to terms on the contract with the Celtics this past offseason. So, he's also a, a a thinking man's player, right? A very intelligent guy. Uh, vice President of the, the Players Union. Like, just, you know, I, I wonder if it gets in his own head sometimes. That's overthinking stuff, and that led to some problems. But there's no doubt, in this series, he's more valuable than Robert Williams. He just is. He's more versatile. He is a perimeter shooter. There are stretches, I'm sure, that you could put Grant Williams on Jimmy Butler. He's defended that type of player in the past. He's strong enough not to get muscled when Jimmy goes into the paint, which is what happened to Derek White a lot in Game 1. That, to me, is the biggest adjustment. I mean, I know Grant was out of the rotation in Game 6 and 7 against Philadelphia. I'd start him in Game 2. I'd say Al Horford, you're the 5. Grant Williams, you're the 4. Grant... You can take your first turn on Jimmy Butler and let's see what happens there. I think that's that's a big adjustment for Joe Missoula coming into game two.
6: I mean, they put Al Horford on Jimmy to start uh, game one, which it's not like Jimmy was going after him relentlessly, but it shows that they already kind of, I, I, like, it's just a bizarre way to start a game. Like, they'd kind of twisted themselves into a pretzel already. And you saw the Heat as, you know, a big difference between this year's Heat team and last year's Heat team is, as much as P.J. Tucker brought to the Miami defensively, Robert Williams was ignoring him in the corner all of last year whenever those guys shared the floor. It allowed Robert Williams to roam freely and kind of destruct defensively in a way that he can't against the current Heat roster if Love is out there, if Caleb Martin's out there. And I think you saw it, Jimmy Butler and Bam were not afraid to attack Rob one-on-one. And Rob's giving them way more space than Grant Williams would. He's not as, He doesn't have that kind of same footwork switchability that Grant Williams has. So I, I thought it was baffling to me, and I thought that was a bigger deal. I, I know people will get on Missoula for the timeouts, and it's frustrating to watch as a fan. But to me, the rotation, the Pritchard minutes, that to me was was more confusing than anything Missoula did.
7: Yeah, the, the Pritchard minutes were so confusing. There was a part of me that I, I would say Miami – was confused about it too. Except Jimmy Butler, <laughs> yeah. literally the first possession with Pritchard there on defense, Butler went at him, scored on him. You know, there was another possession where I think the Celtics may be wondering, like, what the hell is this? Pritchard's out there, so they're like, okay, let me go give Pritchard a little bit of help. But then in doubling him, d- doubling Butler, Butler then finds a pass that results in a three. And keep in mind, these are important minutes that he's getting too. To me, it's a little bit different if it's like he comes in for spot duty for like two minutes and, you know, that's a little different than like the last minute of the first quarter where it's like you're trying to finish a quarter strong and start quarter strong. And not only did they kind of not have the strongest ending to the first quarter because Pritchard was there, he then I think was there at, was it the beginning of the fourth quarter, uh, and and that even Lowry, you know, got a basket on him at one point too. Um, just important moments in the game. I mean, it just there there were too many mistakes here. The the timeout thing is baffling. Like it, like you said, it's it's part of what's been his mo. But I also think that like okay, if you want to do that in the regular season, that's fine you you mess this series up and your season's over against a team where you theoretically should be better okay your 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 players are looking at you to call timeout at that point there's a rhythm there's a natural rhythm to it i know me as someone watching the game on tv i'm like i'm just planning on getting up to go get a, a glass of water or something there's natural rhythms certainly when a team is running off points like miami was miami this is not a high powered offense When they're getting 46 on you in a quarter on the road to start a series, there's something wrong. But you know there were too many mistakes, whether it's the timeouts, whether it's Pritchard, whether it's small things that are massive at the same time. If, If it's Robert Williams saving a ball that's going out of bounds and throwing it directly to Kevin Love, if it's Malcolm Brogdon misidentifying which shooter he should be paying attention to in the last seconds of a quarter and going to go cover Cody Zeller from three instead of guarding Max Struess in the corner. Um, that costs you three points. There were just way too many mistakes like that. There were too many plays where Robert Williams is watching Jimmy Butler operate kind of underneath the basket, and he loses sight of Bam Adebayo, who just kind of floats free and hits that little push jumper that he takes. Uh, th- there, there were too many mistakes. Miami knows coming into the series they can't make too many mistakes there's a talent disadvantage that they're at uh boston doesn't play that way and uh you know they they make mistakes between tatum and brown they had almost as many turnovers between the two of them as miami did as a team and and that's not going to work certainly when you factor in the tatum's mistakes three turnovers essentially in 90 seconds that he made um that's not going to cut it here, especially when Spolstra yeah. is not going to coach his team. I'm not going to say Missoula's coaching his team out of a series, but Spolstra is very, very, very unlikely to do that. It's more of an open question with, with Joe Missoula, certainly off what we just saw in game one.
5: Yeah, Miami has two huge advantages in this series. One is Jimmy Butler, and he dominated. The other is Joe Mazzula, and he dominated. And that can't happen for Boston um, going into game two.
0: At bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call
1: 1-800-GAMBLER. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Die.
5: All right. I want to talk about the John Morant story. I know it's been a few days since the incident, but we haven't had a chance as a group to kind of weigh in on it. And there have been some developments over the last couple of days, Uh, over the weekend, Saturday into Sunday, John Morant was caught on an Instagram live with a gun in his hand. Last time it was at a Denver nightclub. This time, It was in the car of one of his close friends. As always, this clip was quickly cut and disseminated. It was everywhere uh, within hours. The Grizzlies immediately suspended John Morant from all team activities, whatever that means in this moment. uh, And the NBA announced they were going to investigate. Adam Silver was at the draft lottery and. Silver seemed pretty baffled by all of it. And even though there is an investigation ongoing, he did say he's assuming the worst, which means he's assuming that, yes, John Morant was once again in a car or once again somewhere with a gun in his hand. So, look, I think all three of us can agree this was insane. Just a a completely idiotic move by John Morant. So, But I think the question I want to ask, and we'll start with you, Ron. Um, what's the league response going to be? What should it be for a situation like this? Because look, you've seen, you know, the Fox news type say, well, he wasn't breaking any laws, so there shouldn't be that significant a penalty. You had JJ Reddick on TV saying, why is everyone looking to bring the wrath of God down on John Morant? JJ. JJ knows better. JJ knows exactly why the NBA has to come down on John Morant. So, Rohan, what what do you think the NBA punishment should be, is going to be? How does the NBA respond to all this?
6: Yeah, that's obviously the big question. And before I dive into it, let us at least acknowledge that there's like a variety of factors at play here. Yes, it is frustrating to think that, you know... We can see literal like Christmas cards from politicians holding assault rifles. You know, we can agree that there is uh just the optics of a black player holding a gun versus a white player holding a gun. Like we there there is a there is a difference there. Like we can agree that there are a lot of factors at play to an extent. But having said all that, at the end of the day, John Morant is the reason he's being held to such a high standard, you know, Charles Barkley said this on TNT and I'm I don't like fully agree with Charles, but it's like Charles was like, you know, you're getting paid $100 million, a hundred million dollars. There's certain things you can't do. Like, yeah, to an extent, it's like John Morant is held to certain standards because he's he's part of the NBA. He has this big shoe deal with Nike. Like, it sounds silly because, again, we see like, you know people all the time, like, posting photos of themselves with their guns, being like, come take my guns away. And you're like, this is crazy. Like, But it's not about breaking laws or not breaking laws. It's kind of just, are you being a good representative of this league? Like, you're being expected to sell a product, sell things, and people don't want to see this. Um, and especially after what happened in Denver, for him to just do this again is is baffling. It's, it's it, like you said, it, I was shocked. I was like, this guy can't be serious about doing this again. And even just going beyond, like the, there's this commercial aspect of it, right? Like, Oh, is he, you know, hurting the money beyond that? It's like, like, are you making yourself a target? Like, is this the, you know, I understand. I'm not even against the idea of NBA players owning guns. Like I, I players have come out and spoken about why, um, You know, they might feel it's necessary. I saw Paul Pierce tweeting about it. Paul Pierce, remember, was stabbed before a season. He's like, I carried a gun after that. Like, you know, these guys are occupying a different reality than us in many ways. But for me with Ja, it just is, listen, this is the standard that's expected of someone of your stature, of your importance, of your visibility. And even if he's not breaking any laws that doesn't make this like this was just a, a baffling. I could not believe it when I saw it. I was like, There's, is this an old video? Like, why would he even do this again? And I think I do think the league, I don't think it needs to be a full season, but I'm sure Adam Silver regrets the way he handled it last time because he didn't bring the hammer down. He tried to be the compassionate commissioner. I think you have to give him 20 games or something like that. Like, but more importantly, it's going to be more than 20, games. buddy. Yeah, way exactly. More yeah. Than he, games. he can't. What what can't happen is him being like, I was in Florida
5: for two days, and now I'm doing a sit-down with Jalen Rose. Like
7: shouldn't have done a I think
6: the
5: NBA already gave John Morant his mulligan. Um mm-hmm. you know, I wrote this in the immediate aftermath. I feel like from the league's perspective, they showed John Morant compassion last time. John Morant talked about his anxiety issues. John Morant talked about his depression issues. He talked about mental health issues. And I think the NBA took all that into account when they issued the eight-game suspension, which really, you know, the money aside, was only like a two-game suspension. The The Grizzlies mm-hmm. had sent him away for about six games of it, and then he was allowed to come back after two more. Uh, I think the NBA felt like they dangled the proverbial carrot for John Morant. And now I think the stick is coming for him. You know, I had people within the league talking to me about, look, if what happened didn't change Ja Morant, if losing $40 million, which Ja Morant effectively did because he didn't make one of the All-NBA teams as a result, and I think he didn't make an All-NBA team almost exclusively because of this. Like, he had the numbers to be an All-NBA player, didn't make an All-NBA team because of what happened in this incident. If he didn't learn his lesson after the distractions that he caused had something to do with Memphis losing in the first round of the playoffs, if he didn't learn from any of that, it's going to take a lot more for Ja Morant to learn a lesson. Harry, I'm with you. My guess is it's at least 30 games, and it could be as much as 40 to 45. I think we could be talking about half a season for Ja Morant. There may be an appeal, and it may be knocked down, but you know, Adam Silver, in addition to being probably pissed off about Ja Morant less than two months after sitting in his office doing the exact same thing, Adam Silver also doesn't have to worry about on nice making nice with the union right now, the collective bargaining agreement's done. That's wrapped. It, you know he's got seven years before he has to deal with any substantive issues with the union, and he might not even be commissioner in seven years. So I think this is a a moment for Adam Silver. I don't want to see an opportunity because that's too that's the wrong word, but a moment for Adam Silver to send a message, which I can tell you is something that a lot of people, a lot of executives on other teams. Are urging him to do to send a message for something like this?
7: Yeah, I mean, look, we've we've. I think each one of us at one point or another has been critical of Adam Silver. That we, you know, to some extent, he got to enjoy, if you want to call it a ride or what have you. In in the wake of the Donald Sterling stuff, it's been a while since he's really come down. Since the league as a whole has really come down decisively about something. We watched the Kyrie Irving episode earlier this year, which, by the way, as ugly as it was, and it was ugly, and I, I denounced it as such. Uh, it was not criminal, and it was not, it did not involve guns. It was not it was not this specifically. It was not the idea of someone waving around guns. It was not someone that was in the news constantly for having threatened or suggesting threatening people or holding mm-hmm. onto a gun or anything like that. This is ugly in a different sort of way. it's also someone that is like ascending at the time who just took Kyrie's shoe deal essentially. Um there's a lot of so so that, that to me the Kyrie stuff was ugly in a certain way. The league did not come down on him about that until the Nets had an opportunity to handle it first. It seems like the league prefers to let teams handle this stuff first. Even with Ja Morant's first episode, the fact that this is not even is it even 2 months after Ja was was punished the first Less. time Less That's than two months after. Crazy. I thought it was a bad look optically that um, the day that John Morant met with Adam Silver, he had a sit-down schedule with Jalen Rose. I remember thinking, like, this can't be real. Like, that Jalen Rose, that he's, he's tweeting out images and video from his sit-down with John Morant when I think it was earlier that week that we'd even heard that he was in counseling. And even for that, it, we don't even know what it was for. Uh, It it was not a long stay. A lot of people at the time were quietly saying like, if he had real issues, there's no possibility that they could have been resolved within the short amount of time he was there um, dealing with them. And I wrote in my column as compassionately as I could essentially shame on Ja Morant's folks, if not Ja himself, for trying to frame this as solely a mental health thing the second you get in trouble when there've been four or five other things that you've essentially skated on, whether they happened or not, there was enough smoke there to potentially be fire. So, you know, don't give other people that are also dealing or, or are dealing with mental health issues, a bad rap from the standpoint that like only when it involves guns, like, Oh, you know, like I've, I've got to get my mental health straight. That's not fair to those people. It particularly looks bad now that even after using that, even after serving your suspension, even after missing out, as you said, I I put him on my all-NBA team because I set a a threshold of 60 games that I felt like guys needed to play to make them eligible for the team that I wanted to put together. I think he played 61 or 62. He barely made it. Um, If he played 69 or 67 or 68 with his numbers on the second seed in the West, he's a lock. He Would have made it, but what are we even talking about here? That not to mention that the person that he was with in this video is someone that had been banned from games by the league, so it's just such a bad look all the way around. I think the league is absolutely going to drop the hammer here to send a message, in part because we've all been getting on the league about not having sent messages with some of this other stuff. I would not be surprised if he got 50 games, I think he'll get at least 40. I agree. Uh, and I, I agree. and I think it's sad. I think. For once, I agree with the old heads on this. Like, if if you want to do all that stuff, that's fine. It won't be in the NBA, and it's it's sad. I really hope it's straightened that he straightens it out. Um, I thought one of the best suggestions Mark Spears had, mark mark that I saw was something Mark Spears said about the idea of Carmelo had a lot of early career missteps, a DUI, yep. a weed charge. He he had been in the stop stitching video. He had gotten a fight uh, and sucker punched someone <laughs> at Madison Square Garden. And that was when David Stern dropped a proverbial hammer on him because this was in the wake of Mouse at the Palace. Everybody else involved in it got five or six games. Carmelo got 15. And he was like, I'm absolutely making an example of you because you mean more to the league than these other guys do. And you've had multiple missteps here. Um, so I'm making an example of you till you figure it out, basically. And uh, I would be surprised if Adam Silver doesn't do that not to be lighthearted, punny about it. John Morant has given him the ammunition to do that here. And I, I don't even like I don't even understand people that are like, oh, like, yes, the, the the tone of guns in this country and everything is silly and ridiculous and far beyond what it should be. But the morality clause in the NBA existed far earlier than where we're at now with some of this gun stuff. Uh you're not gonna force Nike and Powerade and the NBA at large to have to deal with this guy if, if they don't feel like he can refrain from putting guns up on an IG live or his friends doing it, it just looks like a total right. lack it's, of care. It's not even with regards to any of this, stuff. right?
6: It's not even it's not even like
5: John Morant can't own a gun.
6: It's like why do you have to wave him Post around it. on Instagram, man? Like, like what is going John on? John Morant like, needs
5: new friends. That's. That's one of the very,
7: but you, you know, John to, Moran's you know
6: friends might need new yeah, friends yeah, because like, that
5: was what I, I
7: agreed. And this is where I'm saying, like, I don't, I've never felt like as much of an old head as I have in the last week with regards to how this punishment should be handled. Kenny Smith said that on Inside the NBA last night, where he was like, John Moran is the friend that you need to be concerned about because at a certain point, <laughs> I, I'm sure people told Ja to stop hanging out with this one dude. Ja clearly doesn't want to, and and also if that wasn't Ja's Instagram live, it was the friends. So it's like, well, but why are you? If you said that you also took ownership of the fact that part of the reason your season came up short was because you were a distraction. Mm-hmm. This was a couple weeks ago, not even months ago. They got knocked out in the first round, albeit by a team that like very easily could still go to the finals. Maybe not very easily because Jokic is good, but I like I just don't there's a total disconnect here and it's a little premature to say this, but for the first time really is Memphis is forcing this guy away from the team for a while. You start to wonder, is he actually the future of our franchise? Like if all this stuff still doesn't set in for him, the money, the fact that we were just knocked out, the fact that this happened two months ago and that you sat down face to face with the commissioner, the fact that you've invoked mental health with regards to it. The the fact that there have been all these other things that he potentially could have gotten in real trouble for that, frankly, lucked out that some of it wasn't investigated carefully because people aren't really looking to make an example of someone that is that big a name in the community, quite frankly. He has been fortunate to not have gotten any more punishment than what he's had. So I I, I don't wish anything on him. I wish that this would get through to him so that it's not a recurring issue anymore, but – you i am now at a point where i'm just i'm worried for him because i don't know what the wake-up call is the, the scariest thing i've heard over the last few days is is just the idea that people that really are about that life look at this and like oh so this is what you want life to be like but you don't know it and i think that that actually does agitate a crowd of people that do know what that life is and i i just it did, don't know and you're what you're talking the about it.
5: the clip you're talking about the clip I think from Brick Baby, the, the rapper part of the um that was making the rounds on social media, uh, who is you know, is or was one of the Crips back in the day and he was out there saying, What are you doing, Ja? You can't you can't be throwing up that Crip sign, you know, during games. And if you are, you better pay us. Are you gotta pay the Crips to do that. Like, I mean, Ja strikes me as a guy, you know, who I don't know everything about his background, but you know, kind of where he's from in South Carolina, you know, he grew up with his parents. He went to college. Like he, he strikes me as a guy that wants to be about a life that he's not. And you know, there's a danger of that. The legality of what John Morant did in that car is not an issue here. Like take one of us. Like if it was one of us in a car flashing a gun, we'd probably get fired like from our jobs. Like, Not because it was illegal, but because we work for private companies that have the right to do whatever they want if they feel like we are uh, tarnishing their image. And the NBA is courting and has deals with, you know, family-friendly products, whether it's, you know, soda, Powerade, waters, like everything. They get their hands in all kinds of pies that drive revenue for the NBA. So, you know, it's there's there's a reason the league is probably going to come down pretty hard on John Morant because they can't have this become a thing with John Morant or anybody else that thinks it's acceptable to, to do stuff like this. I, I mean, I did, I did think that, you know, having gang members weigh in and criticize you was wild. That was a I, wild I can't new remember wrinkle.
7: That one. <laughs> I can't remember that one at you, all. Yeah. It,
5: it, I, I'd never, I'd never seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if this is not a wake-up call for John Morant, I don't know what it is. But bottom line, I'm going to guess between 40 and 50 games for John Morant next season. And if it ever happens again, multi-year suspension we could be talking about. I mean, I think the NBA is going to come down pretty hard this time. I think the union's probably going to fight them on it, you know, whatever they decide to do. Uh, But... I think this will be John ja Morant's last. Chance. Have you ever?
7: Have, have you? I mean, you here in LA, and and have had to profile people of of the stature before. Probably in settings where maybe it wouldn't be a crazy thing. There are a lot of celebrities that, when you're in their space, hanging out with them, um, uh, that they will. When you're at an event at their place, they will literally collect your phone. Not that I, I'm like encouraging Ja to be waving around guns at any point, but certainly not when he's like on a video camera or on a phone.
2: Like
6: at a certain point, but it's so self-inflicted. That's it's what it's I'm not saying. even like
7: it's just you. You need to like Ja Maybe doesn't need to have a phone or on him when he's like doing anything, and maybe the the circle of people that he's gonna have need to not have phones with them when they're like because it's just. It, it's self-inflicted in a way and it, that doesn't mean that stuff that he does won't be caught another way that we won't see images from uh a bar or a, a club or something su- surveillance footage that someone uses which that was a funny image but I, I i just i'm at i'm at a total loss and it's just it seems over such stupid stuff you know the, the one last thing i'll cite that barkley said uh and tying it back to what I said about Carmelo and the fact that Mark Spears wrote a piece about Carmelo putting a team of advisors around him after he had early career missteps with with stuff, as it related to the law and just as far as the NBA's morality stuff and whatever else. It's fine to have a gun. It's fine to have someone in your party, in your circle, that has a gun. Let that be your security guy. Jaws probably at a place where he needs one. When you, when you have people who are affiliated weighing in on stuff as it relates to you, you probably should have one. But Ja, also just being a, a big-name celebrity as it relates to the NBA, should have one. But as Barkley was saying yesterday, and I agree with him, you will never know I have it. You will never know my security guard mm-hmm. has it because you're not waving it around because that's not what it's for. And. Irrespective of of the conversation around Ja and the country and where our country is at with guns, it's an issue. It's a problem. But the people that make the argument of like, oh, he should be able to do what he wants because of gun culture in this country, they're not. They they don't have. They're not worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They're not a corporate face for the league. And I get it that at twenty three, in a jersey, in a uniform, that people aren't thinking about it corporately. But watch press conferences when you see all those companies that are behind them. Hell, Chris, you're sitting in front of a sport. Like you said, we're part of a brand. Uh, you, yes. you don't get that luxury, if you want to call it that. It doesn't feel like luxury to me, by the way, of like waving guns around, but you don't get that luxury. You don't get that pass when you are representing the Grizzlies, the NBA, Powerade, Nike, you know, his- The his-
5: NBA finals are sponsored by YouTube TV. Like, <laughs> there, right. there are corporate sponsorships everywhere. and. Yeah. To your point, if you're Ja Morant and you want to act like that, you have every right to do it. Like, as a resident of this country, you can do it. You just can't do it and expect your employer, the NBA,
0: to tolerate it and to pay you the kind of money
5: uh, that it's been paying you. with what we saw this week in Philadelphia. The Sixers go out in the second round. The first casualty is Doc Rivers fired after three seasons on the job. Uh, You know, look, fair, maybe not, but surprising, not really. Because, look, this Sixers team came in with the most pressure on it um, of any team in the playoffs. Uh, They had to at least advance past the second round. They didn't do it. They blew a 3-2 series lead. Coach is always the first to fall. But Rohan... I interpreted this as a overture to uh, James Harden because mm-hmm. I was in that Sixers locker room after game seven and I was standing there when a reporter asked James Harden uh, what he thought, what his relationship was like with Doc Rivers and does he want him back? And James Harden said, it's okay. Meaning his relationship with Doc is okay. You knew then and there that it was one or the other and the Sixers moved quickly to at least signal that they were going to choose uh, James Harden. So uh, I guess the question for you is, were you surprised by the decision to fire Doc Rivers? And, you know, what does this mean for the future of James Harden, who has a very complicated offseason ahead of him? Definitely not
6: surprised. As you mentioned, the coach is kind of the low-hanging fruit. I actually thought Doc did a really good job with this team throughout this season, he really leaned into that Harden and Embiid pick and roll this year in a way that I think maybe fans are upset that he did not last year. They, The fact that they pushed Boston to seven, I don't think anyone expected that, frankly. I don't think anyone expected Philly to be up 3-2 and have a chance to end this series at home the way they did. And do I hold Doc responsible for what happened in that fourth quarter? No, I do not. Do I hold him responsible for Embiid and Harden both laying massive eggs uh, in game seven with – you know, all time choke jobs and pathetic performances and all the turnovers. No, I don't hold Doc responsible. I think he was actually a good coach for this team. What's baffling to me, Chris, you also heard Daryl Morey say in his press conference about the firing that Joel Embiid was shocked to receive this news. Now is Daryl maybe playing that up for the media a little bit? No, Uh, I don't. I don't think he was. Everything I had heard from people around Joel was he was not pleased, and Joel would give a resounding
5: endorsement. Yes,
6: yes, Embiid gave a very you know I love you know he thought he'd done a fantastic job. Why is Daryl Morey like catering to James Harden as opposed to Joel Embiid? That's what I don't understand. And I know Morey came in, uh, you know this is going to sound more sensational. It is like Embiid's not Maury's guy, right? Like he didn't draft him, but even Daryl Morris, who's hard enough to know who the heart, the the single most important aspect of this franchise is, and that's Joel Embiid. Why are you catering to James Harden? Uh, I, you know, there's rumors already. They might bring in Mike D'Antoni. I, I'm not saying that they should not have gotten a different coach. I, I could see why they might need someone. Um, I just think they're going about it completely backwards, catering to Harden here. Why? Why do you want James? Like, do you are you sure you want James Harden back? Like, you can't just let him walk, uh, for salary reasons. But I I, do, I think their best bet is to, like look for a sign and trade for Harden or something this summer. Are you gonna bring him back on a max and get him the coach he wants after that playoff performance? Outside of the two forty point games he had, he had sixty seven in the other five combined. I'm just blown away that Philly seems to want to get back into bed with Harden after the way the playoffs shaked out. I, I, I I'm I would be nervous if I were a Sixers fan,
5: the degree to which they seem
6: to think Harden is an important part of this team moving forward.
5: I mean, all I've heard the last couple of days from people I respect on television is that it would be a disaster if James Harden walked away from Philadelphia. I don't really see it that way. If James mm-hmm. Harden walks away, Going into next season, yeah, they'll be without a terrific all-star caliber guard. But I think with more opportunity, Tyrese Maxey will play better. I think he has another level to get to um, if he's has the ball in his hands a lot more. Um, you would have Tobias Harris's contract, which has one year remaining at a big number. You could trade that for uh, another piece to, to the puzzle. And you still have Joel Embiid, who is... Going to be 30 next year in his prime, coming off an MVP season. So I don't think it would be catastrophic. What I do think will be catastrophic for Philadelphia, and I've said this repeatedly, is giving James Harden a max contract. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that is going to be what it takes. You had Chris Haynes reporting that Harden is going to opt out of this contract. Not a huge surprise there. Owed 35 million. He's going to be looking for between 40 and 50 million per year on a four-year deal. And The Sixers, as has been noted elsewhere, uh, do not have the advantage of being able to offer him that fifth year. So it's open season right now for James Harden with every team with cap space in the NBA. And these rumors about Houston, even though I think they're wild, like I think it would be (laughs) absolutely bonkers if the Houston Rockets go down and sign James Harden. If they give James Harden four years and $200 million, Adam Silver should seize control of the franchise and (laughs) operate it because it would be one of the more insane moves I have ever seen a front office make. This is not about James Harden, the player. It's about where Houston is right now with its organization in the infancy of a rebuild where you have Jalen Green, you've got Jabari Smith, you've got Alperin Sangoon, you're going to get another top draft pick with the 4th overall pick. They are not in the kind of position where you need to bring James Harden in. If we're being quite blunt, James Harden is not exactly the veteran role model I think I would want some of these guys around. There's a reason James Harden wants to come back to Houston and be part of that organization. Some of the reporting around James Harden was that he was looking for, you know, a chance to kind of play his way and you know, be part of a competitive situation. Well, what he wants seemingly is a return to the yesteryear days when he was the MVP and I the thought you were about to say built a return their to team. the club <laughs> sorry. I mean, well, yeah. Like, yeah but <laughs> I thought it, you were like, going there. <laughs> no, I mean, like look, he he, want, he likes Houston. Yeah. He likes the scene down there. Yeah. So I mean there's no there's no disputing that. Um, but if you're the Rockets, you're nuts, nuts. That is yeah. absolutely insane. But that seems to be in the water supply. That seems to be a possibility for James Harden. And if, if Philly thinks that's a possibility, they're going to have to grossly overpay to keep him. And if they give James Harden a contract at four years and close to $40 million or more per season, that instantly becomes the most untradable contract in the NBA. It does. Because Harden's going to be 34 at the start of next season. This will take him up to age 38. He's already shown signs of decline Nobody's taking that contract on. What I think re-signing James Harden to that type of deal does is I think it puts a ceiling on Philadelphia. And that ceiling mm-hmm. is not championship. It's not. I think if you don't re-sign him, maybe in the short term, at least on paper, you are a worse team. But I think you're underestimating how much improved Tyrese Maxey will be with a bigger role. And I do think there's some maneuvering to be done with some of the flexibility that you've created with, with Tobias Harris's contract That is still out there. With whatever draft assets you have left to to make deals, you can bring in a piece that works. Look, Herring, Milwaukee showed that you don't need multiple superstars to win a championship. You just need one alpha, one big-time top-five player and the right pieces around him, and Joel Embiid is that alpha and is going to be Mm -hmm. that alpha if he's healthy for two or three more years. That should be the priority of Philadelphia. Re-signing Harden at a big number – that just seems crazy to me. I can I
7: say this, and um, I, I really hadn't thought about it till just now. I, I I think if if they re-sign Harden at a big big number for more than I would say two years, which if you get him back, it, I, I imagine he would not sign it unless it's for more than that. That'll that will be the 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 capstone and the end piece of the the process. If we're not already there. Because I can't think of a team and I I don't think I was discussing it with either of you all. I was talking to my friends about it. I can't think of a team, a high level team that's in the conversation basically every year for championships that has shot itself in the foot more than Philly. There have been so many high level mistakes. They just got beat by one of them in the playoffs from the standpoint of okay, and I understand, and, I, and the, like, it's not to say that some of these weren't understandable mistakes, by the way. Markel Fultz, the Jason Tatum thing. There's that. There's the fact that they took Okafor in a draft that also had Carl anthony Towns. They didn't quite get the number one pick. But Porzingis turned out to be really, really good. Uh, so there's that aspect. There is someone else is still in the playoffs thats that they're watching kick ass, and Jimmy
6: Butler... And the fact that you know, depending on they who, de- they couldn't trade James Harden for Mikael Bridges straight up today, Brooklyn like right they could have drafted Mikael Bridges they they could have they kept have to include like three first <laughs> yeah. to get but, but, but but they <laughs> could have insane. they could
7: have kept him you know and and that was someone that like I'll never forget that one specifically because that like I've always thought that it's very awkward that we've got the Mannixes and the Woges and the Shams of the world that get information and can report it before it's actually live on television on draft night. Uh, That ain't
5: me. That that, 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 that giving me too much credit on that one. (laughs) I mean, I might get like, in my years, I get one or, I get one or two draft picks. You'll be knowing stuff before (laughs) it happens. Even if you don't necessarily
7: report it or you're still waiting to hear more like I working with you now for long enough. I know that, you know, certain things before they happen or that they might happen. Uh, The Mikael Bridges thing was so awkward though, because his mom worked for the organization they drafted him, ESPN had it teed up. They already had him on camera talking to I guess it wasn't Malika, maybe at the time it was Rachel Nichols or whoever it was, but talking to him on camera about what it was going to be like to be able to stay home, play for an organization that you have a tie to. And meanwhile, we're back at the ranch, we're all on Twitter like, "Uh, he's going to Phoenix." Uh, and so the fact that they shipped him out, there's there's just been so many errors high level errors James Harden signing a long-term deal and and I say this is someone that was blown away by the fact that he had two 40 point games in this last series like he still had there's still flickers and moments and and by the way he was great during the regular season when he was healthy led the league in assists still was able to score still was able to get downhill I think the biggest shift that we have seen with him is that he slowed down a tick and that he does not draw fouls at the same rate. He's a better shooter than what he was several years ago. But that's not the problem here. He's also not a great defender. We've known that for a while, even if it was overstated a little bit. He's, he's not a bad defender. He's, he's not going defender. to age well <laughs> at this point. Like, even if he's really important to your team now, I always think that when the the moment comes when you're essentially over the cap and you don't have a replacement for someone, uh because you can't go out and get somebody else for real money because of where you're at cap wise. This is when teams make bad mistakes and they, yes. they, and they made it the last time when Butler was there figuring out that situation and how much was Ben Simmons going to worry about. We didn't even, I didn't even mention Ben Simmons and all the mistakes they've made, <laughs> but I mean, this would be, this would take the cake on some level. And I think it would effectively close their window. You have to trust that Maxi. Is good enough. He's shown in moments where Harden isn't there that he's ready to take that spot. doesn't mean they're going to win a championship by leap, like letting Harden go. But you have to ask, like, is the upside of letting Harden walk long-term better than locking yourself into something that you can't trade. And I I think the answer might very well be yes on
5: that. And they have made mistake after mistake really for the last five years, going back to 2019 when they wouldn't extend that five-year contract to Jimmy Butler. Uh, I mean, imagine where they'd be right now. I mean, is yeah. there any is there any better pairing or pairing that you'd want more than Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid? Like two ultra competitive guys. Embiid respects guys. the hell out of him too. Incredibly so. Incredibly so. So I, I just think that that was the big mistake. I understand the logic behind trading Simmons for Harden, and it's not like Simmons has done anything since then. But even though you gave up real capital to go and get him, you can't. Look, if you get him at three years, 90, great. Bring him back. Absolutely. If it costs you four years, anywhere from 160 to 200, hell no. Hard pass. That is a franchise detonating deal. It just is. There's only a couple um,
7: teams that it even makes sense for him to go to on, on big bigger money than what you just talked about. I don't know any team that it
5: makes any sense. Who does it like? I mean, Houston, it makes no sense. And I jump up and down on Houston a lot. I think they've made some gaffes over the last I couple of the, years. I think I, scapegoating Steven Silas was one of them. But... Uh, this I would have be- the one team that makes sense. Okay,
6: and it's because their owner can spend however much money he wants. That's the Clippers. It's the only team that makes sense. They have the contracts. They can get away with paying him for a couple, even up to three years. They're opening a new arena. You know, their main guys are always hurt. That's the only team that makes a remote sense to me. And even then, it's like it's not like I think it makes them the favorites. Mm-hmm. But yes, I I just can't get over that they're gonna find a coach. For James Harden. Like, what are they... Like, Daryl Morey's obsession with this guy, I, I, it could really come back to hurt them. If it's Mike
5: D'Antoni, I give up. Bro, it's D'Antoni, bro. Come right. on. Is, is Joel B getting any touches in that kind of system? Like, how does that work? <laughs> no I know Mike way. D'Antoni had Dude. Amari Stoudemire, but this is a different kind of player yeah. altogether. Oh. They weren't letting Amari post up 15 times a game. <laughs> That's... Oh, All right. Well, Heat Celtics back in action on friday night on thursday we get lakers and nuggets we'll be back on monday to break down all of it here on the podcast in the meantime subscribe rate and review everywhere you get your podcast